Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Lilun Ishmat, Ezra Ben Frida, Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Ajmi family. Uh, as well, in loving memory of Isaac, Zach Ashkenazi, Alava Shalom, Lilun Ishmat, Yitzhak Ben Rachel, Alava Shalom, sponsored anonymously. Also dedicated in memory of Lou Jerome, Alava Shalom, Lilun Ishmat, Ben Esther, Alava Shalom, sponsored by, um, by his son, Joey Jerome, and sponsored by Stephen Rapport. Um, Dedicated in loving memory and Lilunishmatem of Corporal Yazan Falah Alava Shalom and Corporal Shirel Abu Kraf Alea Hashalom who were murdered by terrorists in Hadera Hashem in Kom Damam May we be zochet to see good news in Eretz Israel, safety and security restored, and peace um, and prosperity in its streets. My friends, I want to share a beautiful idea that is recorded by the Meshech Chochmah. The Pasuk says, ha-nega, and the Kohen will see the Nega, the uh, wound, the Tzara'at. And then the Pasuk continues on, and it ends and it says, ha-kohen. If the Nega spread, then Tameu, it's Tameh, Nega Tzara'atu, it's Tzara'at. ha-kohen. And the Kohen will see it, oto, and he will make or he will render him with his judgment impure. Now the Mishnah tells us a very interesting law. The Mishnah says that if the Kohen saw a nega on someone, on the holiday, so it's about to be Pesach, Hadaz in Cabo, right? Uh, he tells him, uh, he sees the nega tzarat on his hand. What does the Kohen say? Nothing. Kohen sees a chatan in the middle of his chuppah. During Sheva Berachot, his week of rejoicing, he sees him a beautiful black suit, tuxedo, notices he's got tzarat on the clothes, tzarat on his hand, maybe tzarat on the clothes, he would still tell him. But he's got tzarat on his hand, on his forehead, mabarif. What does the Kohen say? The week of his wedding? Nothing. And the question is, what is the source for this teaching in the Mishnah? And the Meshech Ochma says, perhaps it is this pasuk, where the Pasuk begins by saying, it tells you that the nega spread. That is, says the Pasuk, nega tzara'atu. It should say, nega tzara'atu oto. And he renders him impure. But it says again, we already said, so the second time indicates that there are two looks, two lookings. Two observations that are made. One observation is the observation perhaps of the nega. And the second observation is the context within which the nega is being seen. Fascinating. Now this concept, this idea that the Meshech Ochmah is putting across is not just because it says the words vera'ah twice. In fact, it doesn't. If you pay close attention there are two different words there. The first word says, Vira'ah Kohen, the Kohen sees. The second word says, Vira'ah Hu HaKohen. And that pasuk, it can mean, and he saw it, i.e. the nega, or Vira'ah Hu HaKohen can mean, and he saw him. Unfortunately, oftentimes, part of the reason why a person is engaging in negative speech or negative sight is because they are looking at the sin, they are looking at the problem, and they are not looking at the person. 
If you looked at the person, you'd see a very different way out. Educators, rabbis, parents, spouses, friends, most often, this is the mistake that they make. Rabbi, I have a problem. What's the problem? I problem my wife. Rabbi, I have a problem. What's the problem? I'm my son. It's amazing. I love to say to them, don't tell me I have a problem, my wife. Say, Rabbi, I have a wife. Rabbi, I have a son. My son is dealing with something. My wife is going through something. Completely different scenario. What are you treating? The symptoms or the person? They tell a story about Rechaim Ozer, one of the great rabbis. He's approached by a young man. A young man comes to him and he says, you know, my father, uh, he's interviewed for a job to be the rabbi in the city. And I think it would make a huge difference if you could send him, if you could send him, uh, what's it called? A letter of recommendation. Anyway, the rabbi said, looks at this guy. He doesn't actually think the man is appropriate for the job. And he knows that his recommendation is going to be taken with the weight of a person uh, who's a great rabbi like himself. So what does the rabbi do? He says, I'm really sorry. I don't feel like I could involve myself in the internal affairs of, uh, of the city. He says it nicely, in a nice way, that he can't write the letter of recommendation. The young man goes majnun, starts screaming at the gadol, ador, the greatest rabbi of his generation, perhaps. Screaming, cursing, yelling. And the rabbi is sitting there, calm. His face is like a bridge over troubled waters. Like this, relax, listen. The guy's yelling, he's screaming, he's pointing. He finally finishes, and he leaves. And the student said, Rabbi, this guy's a punk. He's a young man. How do you allow him to speak to the Gadol Hador that way? Even if you're not strict, even if you you're not have respect, even if, sorry, if, uh, if it doesn't bother you, but you stand for more than yourself. You stand for the honor of the Torah. And you can't let him get away with it. The guy insulted the Torah. He didn't insult you. He insulted the Torah. It's like Haman. <laughs> Haman says, "No, Not only on the king himself did Vashti rebel, but against everybody. The rabbi looks and he looks at his students. And he says, "Look, it's true. The man, not he didn't attack me, but he also didn't attack my Torah." Really, he didn't attack at all. He defended. His father probably needs that job. Things are probably tough at home. So you're looking at a young man screaming at a gadol ador, and I'm seeing a young man screaming because he cares that his mother and father are at home with no food in the house. They're cold because they can't afford wood for the furnace. Vira'ah kohen. The students saw the problem and they were correct. It was a problem. But the rabbi saw the person. He understood, didn't take it personally. It wasn't about him at all. It had nothing to do with him. You know, there are times, there are times when we, uh, we act or we react without noticing the person to whom we are speaking. And I want to give a couple illustrations of this. I remember once, 
And I was raised by, if you guys know my father, my father's a very special man. Now, some rabbis, they teach Torah, they sit on the stage, they get the kavod, they, people kiss their hands, they give berachot. And some fathers, like my father, my father fixes the books in the shul, if they're not in the right place. My father will pick up garbage off the floor. If need be, he'll clean the bathroom. Whatever's needed for the community, for the kavod of the Beit HaKneset. So that's how we grew up. As kids of the rabbi, if there was something wrong, there was, something was dirty, clean it up. We have the, the ladies coming soon. The chadam will be here in a few minutes, let her clean it up. Yeah, but the shul's dirty. It will hell, they'll clean it. Yeah, but the shul's dirty now. For my father, that was always the most obvious, the most simple thing in the world. And I think that's something that the pasuk tells us about Yehoshua. Yehoshua was na'ar lo yamishim tocha oil. He was a young man who never left the tent of Moshe Rabbeinu. And what does that mean? The rabbis tell us that he arranged the tables and the benches in the Beit Midrash when they would come to study to listen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Yehoshua would make sure that everything was in its right place. Nobody else did that. And therefore, even the people that were greater than Yehoshua, as students, as prophets, as scholars, it, the job was not appropriate for them. Because there were things that they would not do. They don't want to get their hands dirty. The person that God chose to lead the Jewish people was Yahushua. Why? Because he is not My friends, I want you to imagine I'm sitting with my father upstairs in our synagogue. He comes for Shabbat. I want you to imagine now that there's a candy wrapper on the floor. My father would not hesitate either to pick it up or to tell me, Shlomo, there's garbage on the floor. My father would not hesitate to tell the richest man in the synagogue there's garbage on the floor. But my father would never tell the poorest man in the synagogue there's garbage on the floor. Why not? When you have everything and someone tells you to pick it up, it's not a problem. When you have nothing and someone tells you to pick up garbage, what do you think? What do you think I am? Garbage man? Well, because he has and I don't. That's what gives him this ga'ava. Sometimes a person needs to be aware of where the person is. Rav Chaim Ozer told his students, there's no way in the world they would listen to the tochacha, to the rebuke I would give him when he's so worked up, he's so nervous, he's so upset. Says the Gemara, in mefaisin la'adam, bisha'at ka'aso. You do not appease a person when he's angry. Because in that moment, there's no possible way that he can even hear what you're saying. He's not acting right now out of logic. He's acting out of emotion. He's acting from a place of, of anger, of hurt, of pain. And in that space, he can't even think about what he's doing. So my friends, one of the most powerful lessons that you can tell people is I remember a long time ago, I was living in London, and there was a... a, a husband and wife, unfortunately, that went through a very, very messy divorce. It was terrible. Kids, the kids were torn apart. People were talking. It was just not nice. The whole thing was not nice. It was just, okay? After the divorce for a while, the father got remarried. The, excuse me, the mother got remarried and the father was not remarried. 
And I remember the kids came to speak to me. And they said, Rabbi, you know, our father's getting married. He asked us to come to the wedding with his kids. But we feel if we go to the wedding, we're going to hurt our mother's feelings. Like we're siding with our father. And not only that, they said, not only that, you know, it's also not so nice for us. Our whole childhood, we remember our father and our mother together. Now we have to go see our mother be replaced by some other lady. We don't want to go. Number one, they asked, are we allowed to go if it will offend our mother? Number two, right? Do we have to go if it's uncomfortable for us? And I said, I said to the kids, I said, listen, number one, number one, your obligation to your parents is equal. So the fact that you're trying to honor your mother's requests that you not go, at the expense of your father's requests to go, it's a lose-lose situation. Whatever you do, you're getting someone upset. You have to figure out, it's your job to figure out how to communicate to your mother that their support of their father has nothing to do with their support or lack of support of her. They're very happy to go to her wedding when she'll get married. Even if he won't like it, they're going to do that anyway. Because it's their job as children to support both parents. I said, you, your job is to convince, to explain, to comfort, to take, to take your mother down the garden path to get her to that place. I said, but the second thing is an entirely different question. You're asking me if you have to go. It's uncomfortable for you. And I said, I want to share that one of the most difficult things that people experience when their parents get remarried, when they're already older, is that for the first time in their life, they don't see their parent as a parent. They see their parent as a person. What do you mean? In my mind, dad's only married to mommy. I can't be that there's another reality. There's another person that he loves, that loves him. What do you want him to do? For the sake of your memories, he should be alone for the rest of his life? Does he owe you that because he gave birth to you? Because he, he uh, fathered you? Because she mothered you? Does she owe you that? They're people. And I know it's a shocking thing that that's a shocking thing. To think that your parents are people is a shocking thing. To think, my friends, that your rabbi is a person to some people, is a shocking concept. The rabbi doesn't need friends. He's the rabbi. Rabbis are, rabbis are people too. Rabbis are, right? Rabbis are people too. You know, I remember when I moved to London. So very soon after I moved to London, you know, we came right before the high holidays. We had no pots, we had no pans. I had to go shopping for everything right before the holiday. So HUK, led by, uh, at the time, Rabbi Naftali Schiff, is built like a beautiful family. And one of the great rabbis over there, a brilliant man, Rabbi Daniel Rowe, knocked at my door one night and he said, you and Khan, I just moved to a new country, go out. Go to a restaurant, go have dinner together. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm here to babysit the kids. Do you understand? Do you understand? Rabbis to realize that rabbis are people is a nice thing, but they get it. You know how long it was in a country that I didn't know anybody 
before someone said, do you want to go out for dinner together? When we get to know you, why don't you come over? Why don't we, you understand? People don't realize that these things are true. You know, I often ask people, you know your grandparents, do you know what made your grandfather fall in love with your grandmother? We don't think about our grandparents that way. Because from the minute we were, they were born, we were born, they were already old people married. But they're people. My friends, rabbis are people too. Parents are people too. Your children are also people. We tell our kids what to do, where to go. We expect them to do what we say that we want them to do. But they're people. What do you want from my life? I love her. I understand that it's not convenient. I understand this doesn't work for you. You don't like the family. You don't like, you know, you don't get along. But I love her. What do you want from me? Well, I want you to listen to what I have to say. I'm your mom. I'm your... But understand, this is a person. They have a heart. It's being broken right now. My friends, angry people are people too. Wicked people are people too. Righteous people are people too. Says the Pasuk, and the Kohen will see the nega. Everybody sees the nega. Everybody sees the problem. And everybody in solving the problem automatically runs to deal with the problem. But my friends, what if instead of solving the problem, we solve the person? So I want to give you an example of this procedure, of this wisdom of solving the person and not the problem. There's a great rabbi, I don't want to say of which community, great rabbi, very righteous, very, very religious community. And one Friday night, outside of the synagogue, a group of young men from the community that had changed their ways is sitting there smoking cigarettes on Shabbat in front of the synagogue. The people are losing their minds. What kind of chutzpah is this? These guys are coming, rubbing it in our faces. You know, people had to like be physically restrained from going after them. And you know what the people said? All right, wait till the rabbi gets out there. Wait till the rabbi gets out there. Do you remember this from when you were young? You came home and your mom says, I got a phone call from the school today. You wait till your father gets home. Forget it. I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it. You wait till your father gets home. I always love, by the way, the disassociation that parents have. Like, it's not, you wait until my husband gets home. You wait until dad gets home. It's like, you wait until your father, as if the kid is a stranger. Like the father comes home, the kid screwed up. What does he say to his, his wife? You know what your son did in school today? What is your son? What is it, she had the son with the mailman? This is your son too. Yeah? Disassociation. I don't want to be with this person. I want to push myself. Forward. You wait till your father gets home. All the kids are thinking, oh, rabbi's coming out of shul now. Fireworks. The rabbi waits a little. He's smart. He knows that if he waits five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, the people are too hungry. They're going to go home for Shabbat dinner. He waits until most of the people leave. And then he comes outside. And he sees the boys sitting there still smoking. And he says, boys, 
not Shabbat, not smoking, not bad for your health. Boys, it's so nice to see you here at the synagogue. My door is always open whenever you want to come. Father, I love you. Have a wonderful Shabbat. You see, everybody else saw a cigarette. Everybody else saw Shabbat. And a cigarette and Shabbat go together about as good as meat and milk. But the rabbi saw a bunch of boys that were hurting so much that they could think of only one place to smoke cigarettes on Shabbat in front of the synagogue. What were they asking for? Attention. Attention. They're asking for love. They're asking to be accepted. It's very hard for them to ask to be accepted as they are. So what do they do? They say it without words. And the rabbi who saw the kids and not the cigarettes was capable of saying to them, I love you. You're the best. So nice that you came to shul to say hello. Wonderful. And that's how the rabbi got them back to shul. I'll never forget when I was a young man in Camp Shiftei Israel. I was in the bunk with a lot of the people you know now as the rabbis of the community, as rabbis in the community. And I will never forget this. One morning, we woke up, we went to line up before Shacharit. What happened? There had been a skunk in Camp Shiftei Israel, terrorizing uh, the place. You'd be walking back to your bunkhouse midnight, all of a sudden on the front steps of your bunkhouse is a skunk. You froze. You know how far a skunk can hit you with the sp spray? Up to 25 feet. These guys are sharpshooters. You know what it takes to get the smell of skunk off of you? You need to bathe in tomato juice. I'm not joking. The smell doesn't come off no matter how much you scrub in the shower. For days you smell. And the smell is so overpowering, you, you can't breathe. What happened? They tried to catch the skunk. They set out a trap. And Yishtabach Shemor, the skunk took the bait, went in the trap. A bunch of kids in the morning, they see the skunks in the trap. They all gather around, oh fantastic, we caught the skunk. Dibs. <laughs> the cage has a bunch of holes in it. What the skunk do? Rears up, lifts his tail, pegged all of them. 20 kids surrounding the cage. The smell in the camp was insane. I have time to pray. They took the kids and they started walking with everyone into the bed, into the bed Knesset. Now the bed Knesset, Hadad's already covering his nose. He, even listening to the story, he can't handle it. 20 kids covered in skunk smell. They walk into the synagogue in two seconds. You can't breathe in the synagogue. All the kids pointing at the other kids. You stink, you smell. Kids stop. The rabbi, I'll never forget Rabbi Wadish. Rabbi Wadish walks up. Gives a big slap on the bima, right? Of course, they open the windows. He says, everyone who is affected this morning, please join me. We're going to go to a special minyan. We're going to have a skunk minyan 
on the third baseball field he led them to. And who led the minyan? He didn't send one of the guys, one of the counselors, one of the junior counselors. The head counselor himself, Rabbi Wadish, ran the skunk minyan in the middle of the thing. All the kids now, they feel it. You know, <laughs> I'm part of the skunk minyan. It's me, my friend, and the rabbi. What an unbelievable opportunity to flip the script. You see, all of us, we looked at a bunch of kids and we saw smelly kids. Kids that need to be thrown out of the Beit Knesset. But Rabbi Wadish understood that the point is not to throw someone out of somewhere. The point is to lead someone somewhere. To have a destination where you're going, not a destination where you need to be thrown out from. You want to throw a kid out of school because he smells, because he's doing the wrong things? Where are you sending him to? If you don't have another school you're sending him to, don't talk to me about the fact that you're throwing him out. You're in this job for the education, aren't you? Your responsibility is to every child that grows your path, right? Every child. Where's the skunk minyan that you're making for him? Or that you arranged for him? And it's an unfortunate reality that sometimes even the people who have the best intentions, they start a skunk minyan, a school for the kids that smell. And then what happens? The school grows. And then what happens? They get more applicants. And then what happens? They start choosing the best of the applicants, the most religious of the applicants. And then the school that was started to be the skunk minyan no longer accepts the skunk kids. Because they got too good for that. We don't, you know, we want to be a better school. But you forgot your raison d'etre. Your whole reason for existing. Your reason for existing was not to be another school for kids here. There was one already of those. It was for this. Vira'ahu ha-kohen. A kohen is a spiritual leader. A parent is a spiritual leader. A rabbi is a spiritual leader. Are you seeing the problem or are you seeing the person? Hashem should bless us always to be mekayem, vira'ahu ha-kohen, and only after seeing him, vitime oto, understanding is it the right time, is it the right place, is it the right way, is it the right suggestion, and ultimately then our words will have a positive effect. Baruch